0: Hello, hopeful. I'm Roger Corville, and this is for the Hopes Daily Audio Bible. Here, we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. Welcome. When you're talking to somebody, or maybe even thinking about your own heart, why is it so important? to emphasize the historical reliability of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Well, it's because, my friends, they are historical, if nothing else. And if so, then we are particularly confronted with the record of what Jesus did. Why is that so important? Well, as you're going to hear today, because Jesus' answer to John is his answer for the world. Hey, And that gets us to episode 2057. Welcome to today's part of our journey together through the Bible, reading every bit of it with the big story in mind and considering our own life and work stories in light of that. And so, you know, the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be in Denver for my doctoral class residency, but that won't prevent me from doing this every day with you because that's what we do here. Hey, one of the things to listen for, and I'll point it out along the way, Jesus makes allusions to a couple different passages in Isaiah, and the significance is profound. It's important because Jesus links his healings and exorcisms to the end-time restoration of creation predicted in Isaiah. Jesus' role is much greater than just physical victory over Israel's enemies. That's really important. Like we said, Jesus' answer to John is his answer for the whole world. We pick up today in Luke chapter 6 at verse 43, picking up in uh, the middle of Jesus' sermon. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes, or grapes picked from a bramble bush, a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? But you don't do the things I say. I will show you what someone is like when he comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the floods came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. When he had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion's servant, who was highly valued by him, was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy For you to grant this, because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, I say, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. Afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. And just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was also with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Don't weep. And then he came up and touched the open coffin. And the pallbearer stopped and he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone and they glorified God saying, A great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity pause this next section is the section about john the baptist so keep an ear out for the stuff about people receiving their sight etc there are allusions meaning references to a couple different important places in isaiah like we mentioned here we go then john's disciples told him about all these things so john summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the lord asking are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else When the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Pause. My friends, listen to how he answers. At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many people, and he replied to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. After John's messengers left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But since the Pharisees and the experts in the law had not been baptized by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. Jesus continues. To what then should I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. We played a flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom, wisdom is vindicated by all her children. And that gets us up through chapter 7, verse 35. My friends, Jesus links his healings and exorcisms to the end-time restoration of, cre- of creation that Isaiah predicted. And why? Because it's to reverse the results of a fallen creation and to restore it to a right relationship with God. It is to accomplish the ultimate defeat of humanity's greatest enemies, right? Satan, sin, and death. And his answer to John is his answer to the whole world. He could have just said, yeah, that, I'm, I'm the dude. No, he said, look at the things that I do that Isaiah predicted long ago. Oh, (laughs) yeah, not just the dude, the dude. Turning to our Old Testament segment today, we wrap up the book of Esther. Remember the, probably useful to remember that the Jews, even today, still have enemies plotting their downfall. A theme for us recently has been God often fulfills his redemptive purposes through divine providence, working through Ordinary events and ordinary people. That's important to remember, because that's a lot more frequent than Jesus and miraculous healings. Esther, starting in chapter 8. That same day, King Ahasuerus awarded Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. Mordecai entered the king's presence because Esther had revealed her relationship to Mordecai. The king removed his signet ring he had recovered from Haman and gave it to Mordecai, and Esther put him in charge of Haman's estate. Then Esther addressed the king again. She fell at his feet and wept and begged begged him to revoke the evil of Haman the Agagite and his plot that he had devised against the Jews. The king extended the gold scepter toward Esther, so she got up and stood before the king. She said, "'If it pleases the king, and I have found favor with him, if the matter seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let a royal edict be written. Let it revoke the documents the scheming He-Haman son of Hamadatha the Agagite wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how could I bear to see the disaster that would come on my people? How could I bear to see the destruction of my relatives?' King Ahasuerus said to Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, Look, I have given Haman's estate to Esther and he was hanged on the gallows because he attacked the Jews. Write, write in the king's name whatever pleases you concerning the Jews and seal it with the royal signet ring. A document written in the king's name and sealed with the royal signet ring cannot be revoked. On the 23rd day of the third month, that is the month of Sivan, The royal scribes were summoned and everything was written exactly as Mordecai commanded for the Jews to the satraps, the governors and the officials of the 127 provinces from India to Kush. And the edict was written for each province in its own script, for each ethnic group in its own language and to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in King Ahasuerus' name and sealed the edicts with the royal signet ring. He sent their documents by mounted couriers who rode fast horses bred in the royal stables. The king's edict gave the Jews in each and every city the right to assemble and to defend themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate every ethnic and provincial army hostile to them, including women and children, and to take their possessions as spoils of war. This would take place on a single day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. The copy of the text, issued as law throughout every province, was distributed to all the peoples so the Jews could be ready to avenge themselves against their enemies on that day. The couriers rode out in haste on their royal horses at the king's urgent command, and the law was also issued in the fortress of Susa. Mordecai, went from the king's presence clothed in royal blue and white, with a great gold crown and a purple robe of fine linen. The city of Susa shouted and rejoiced, and the Jews celebrated with gladness, joy, and honor. In every province where the, and every city where the king's command and edict reached, gladness and joy took place on, among the Jews. There was a celebration and a holiday, and many of the ethnic groups of the land professed themselves to be Jews because fear of the Jews had overcome them. The king's command and law went into effect on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. On the day when the Jews' enemies had hoped to overpower them, just the opposite happened. The Jews overpowered those who hated them. In each of King Ahasuerus's provinces, the Jews assembled in their cities to attack those who intended to harm them. Not a single person could withstand them. Fear of them fell on every nationality. All the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, the royal city, civil administrators, aided the Jews because they feared Mordecai. For Mordecai exercised great power in the palace, and his fame spread throughout the provinces as he became more and more powerful. The Jews put all their enemies to the sword, killing and destroying them. They did what was what they pleased to those they hated, that hated them. In the fortress of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, including Parshadatha, Dalfon, Aspatha, Poratha, Adalia, Aradatha, Pamashta, Arsai, Aradai, and Vizatha. They killed these 10 sons of Haman, son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. However, they did not seize any plunder. On that day, the number of people killed in the fortress of Susa was reported to the king. The king said to Queen Esther, In the fortress of Susa, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men, including Haman's 10 sons. What have they done in the rest of the royal provinces? Whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you seek will also be done. Esther answered, If it pleases the king, may the Jews who are in Susa also have tomorrow to carry out today's law, and may the bodies of Haman's ten sons be hung on the gallows. The king gave the orders for this to be done, so a law was announced in Susa, and they hung the bodies of Haman's ten sons. The Jews in Susa assembled again on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and killed three hundred men in Susa, but they did not seize any plunder. The rest of the Jews in the royal provinces assembled, defended themselves, and gained relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they did not seize any plunder. They fought on the 13th day of the month of Adar and rested on the 14th, and it became a day of feasting and rejoicing. But the Jews in Susa had assembled on the 13th and the 14th days of the month. They rested on the 15th day of the month, and it became a day of feasting and rejoicing, and this explains why the rural Jews who live in villages observe the 14th day of the month of Adar as a time of rejoicing and feasting. It is a holiday when they send gifts to one another. Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to all the Jews in all of King Ahasuerus' provinces, both near and far. He ordered them to celebrate the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar every year because during those days the Jews gained relief from their enemies. That was the month when the, their sorrow was turned into rejoicing and their mourning turned into a holiday. They were to be days of feasting, rejoicing, and of sending gifts to one another and to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the practice they had begun, as Mordecai had written them to do. For Haman, son of Hammedatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them. He cast the pure, that is, the lot, to crush and destroy them. But when the matter was brought before the king, he commanded by letter that the evil plan Haman had devised against the Jews, return on his own head, and that he should be hanged with his sons on the gallows. For this reason, the days are called Purim, from the word Pur. Because of all the instructions in this letter, as well as what they had witnessed and what had happened to them, the Jews bound themselves, their descendants, and all who joined with them to a commitment that they would not fail to celebrate these two days each and every year according to the written instructions and according to the time appointed. These days are remembered and celebrated by every generation, family, province, and city so that these days of Purim will not lose their significance in Jewish life and their memory will not fade from their descendants. Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote this second letter with full authority to confirm the letter about Purim. He sent letters with assurances of peace and security to all the Jews who were in the 227 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus in order to confirm these days of Purim at their proper time just as Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen had established them and just as they had committed themselves and their descendants to the practices of fasting and lamentation. So Esther's command confirmed these customs of Purim, which were then written into the record. King Ahasuerus imposed attacks throughout the land, even to the farthest shores, all of his powerful and magnificent accomplishments and the detailed account of Mordecai's great rank with which the king had honored him. Have they not been written in the book of the historical events of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai, the Jew, was second only to King Ahasuerus. He was famous among the Jews and highly esteemed by many of his relatives. He continued to pursue prosperity for his people and to speak for the well-being of all his descendants. And that finishes up Esther, gets us to a short little wisdom segment, Proverbs 12, 19, and 20. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only a moment. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. My friends, why is it so important for us to emphasize the historical reliability of the Gospels? Because they're historical. And yes, Esther is historical. But importantly, as it relates to today, Jesus' answer to John is his answer for the whole world. It was true for Esther, it's true for Jesus and John the Baptist, and it's true for you and me. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.